0: And so I wasn't sure, so I was praying about it. I thought maybe this is the one I need to do. Well, Krista had texted me, and said, "Hey, why don't you try this one?" And it was the same one. That's happened in the past two times. So praise God for that. Coming through. and you never do. So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again. Cause all that I have is a my arms stretch wide. I will worship you. So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again. It's all that I have. for a heart Hello. Hello and happy Sabbath. happy Sabbath. Today's scripture reading is Daniel 7:25 in the King James version. And he shall speak great words against the most high and shall wear out the saints of the most high and and think to change times and laws and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time.
1: Good morning, everyone. Happy Sabbath. Morning. Are you glad to be here? Yeah. Uh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So this is part four of our series, but if you haven't been here for uh, earlier parts, don't be alarmed. Um, I'll do a little review and you'll be just fine today. Um, before we start, can we pray? God, it's a privilege to uh, be free uh, to open your word Uh, this morning and early afternoon. And as we do that, Lord, we ask that you would bless us, that the Holy Spirit would guide us into all truth, that our hearts, our minds would be open. And Lord, that you would uh, speak through me. Uh, Folks don't need to hear me, they need to hear from you. And so I just ask for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you remember, if you look at the title of the message, it's Our Greatest Need. Do you remember where that comes from? That comes from a a quote um, from Review and Herald, March 22, 1887, where Ellen White said, A revival of true godliness among us is the greatest and most urgent of all our needs. To seek this should be our first work. And so that has been our desire, to have a personal revival and then a revival in the Lord's Church. And then we will... Fill these pews and we'll see great and miraculous things happen because the Lord is able to work through us. And you may be wondering what Daniel 7.25 has to do with revival, but we'll see that as we, as we move on. So a little bit of a recap. Um, we looked at the everlasting gospel. We were in, were in Revelation 14 and we're working through the chapter of Revelation 14 in this series. And we looked at the everlasting gospel, and we realized that it's a message that must be proclaimed with a loud voice uh, to the entire world. And we recognize that we are the messengers, that obviously the Holy Spirit and holy angels assist us, but God has given us the privilege to be the messengers. And, you know, we get the aid from heaven. Whatever uh, Whatever we need, God will provide to get that job done. We looked at um, these statements fear God and give glory to Him in everything that we do. And we talked about that. Um, we want to give God glory in everything that we do, in what we eat, in what we drink. First um, 1 Corinthians 10.31 tells us, Whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. What we watch, what we listen to, yes, what we wear, uh, all of those things <clears throat> either give glory to God or they bring shame. And so we looked at that, and did you know that we can even give glory to God in the way that we worship? Does that make sense? Okay, good. Um, You know, worship is not to be entertainment. It is not a performance. Um, It's done to honor our Creator. Do you agree with that? Okay, excellent. Um, and you know, it's a demonstration of our love for Him. Worship should be a demonstration of our love for Him. Um, the Bible says to let all things be done decently and in order, 1 Corinthians 14, uh, with dignity. And so as we consider this topic of worship um, today, um, be thinking of that, be thinking You know, are we bringing glory to God? Are we honoring him? Is it done decently and in order with dignity? We also talked about uh, the everlasting gospel that talks about the hour of his judgment is come. And we put up on the screen this um, chart here. I'm going to put this up briefly. My little wireless signal to come across. I don't know what that is on the screen, so I don't see the apple, um, the apple option here. Maybe we could restart that technology made by man. So, you know, we do the best we can. By God's grace, it'll work. I had a bunch of slides I wanted to share with you, but if not, we'll move on without it. Okay, there it is. Praise the Lord. Okay, so we put this chart up and we looked at the 2300 days and we recognized that since October 22nd, 1844, which you can see um, on the far right, far right, um, that's when the investigative judgment began. And I wanted to show you this slide here. I didn't get an opportunity to do that because I ran out of time. But can you see that? See, in the judgment, in this time that we're living, the sinner, you and I, we make the choice of what happens, okay? So um, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And in the uh, antitypical day of atonement, in the typical day of atonement, uh, there were two goats that were selected, and God selected them himself. Um, One was the Lord's goat, and that goat was slain. And then one was the scapegoat. And you could see that in the red there. And the scapegoat was not slain. And so as we're considering this judgment and we're trying to cooperate with Jesus and what he's doing in this work of blotting out sin, we come to a fork in the road. And we have to make a decision. Will we... um, Embrace the mercy of Jesus and allow him to blot out our sins and place them on the scapegoat who assumes or bears the penalty for our sins that are blotted out. Or do we hold on to them ourselves and assume the penalty for his or her sins? We have to make the choice. See, Jesus has everything set up. You know, he, he has uh, paid the price on the cross. He is able to blot out our sins. But we must cooperate with him in order for our sins to be blotted out. And young and old, this is important, that the Lord can only do so much without our cooperation. He was able to die on the cross 2,000 years ago. He didn't need our approval or our faith or anything else to do that. And he was able to go from the holy place into the most holy place and begin this investigative judgment. And he didn't need our approval. He didn't need our cooperation. But in order for sin to be blotted out, we must cooperate with him through forsaking of sin, repentance, confession, and faith. And then Satan will have all of those sins on his account, and he'll be led into the wilderness, so to speak. He'll spend a 1,000 years on this desolate planet and ultimately be destroyed. So I I wanted to do that as a form of review as we uh, continue uh, today. There's some other slides that we'll look at. So here's the question. As we're thinking about worship today, um, does it matter how we worship? Is is God indifferent or is God particular about how we worship him? Does he change to suit us? Does he change as trends change, as culture changes? Do those things happen? Is God saying, oh, well, they're doing things differently now, and so I'm just going to kind of go with the flow? Does he do that? Amen. 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 So go to Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus 16, actually Leviticus 10. And there are Bibles there in the pews for those that may not have one. I invite you to uh, to go there and to use the Bible today because we're going to look at uh, quite a few verses today. Leviticus 10, 10 we're going to begin in verse 1. And the scriptures won't be up on the screen um At some point during this message, some will be, but not these. So take the time. Leviticus 10, verse 1, it says, And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. Some versions might say profane fire, okay? And then if you go down to, uh, let's read verse 2. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, And they died before the Lord. Verse 8, And the Lord spake unto Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine nor strong drink thou nor thy sons with thee when ye go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations, and that ye may put difference between holy and unholy and between unclean and clean and that ye may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord hath spoken unto them by the hand of Moses. So was Nadab and Abihu's worship acceptable to God? You know, it was only a slight change, right? It was just a different source of fire. It was still fire, right? It was still a censer. And in their minds, it was still worship. But their method was not acceptable to God. God was not indifferent uh, with respect to how they offered worship. And and so it it, it brings out there in verse 10 that there is a difference between the holy and the unholy, between the unclean and the clean, and we should keep that in mind. And so Numbers uh, chapter 3 talks about how, again, they died after offering strange fire before the Lord. Now, if you go to Genesis chapter four, Genesis four, beginning in verse three. Genesis 4, verse 3 And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord, and Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shall thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. So they both came to worship the Lord, and Cain came to worship his way. See, we know that they knew what God expected, what he desired for worship. But Cain came to worship his way, self-worship, actually. And in his mind, it's about me. Uh, This is really about me and what I desire, not what God expects or what God's will is. But in his mind, he's saying, I'm going to do it my way. And then the end result is that he rises up against his brother and kills him, because his brother's ways were righteous and his were not. Abel's form of worship. was it acceptable to God? Absolutely. And so you see the common or the worldly versus the holy. I'll go to first Samuel. First Samuel chapter ten. First Samuel chapter ten, and we're going to read verse eight. First Samuel chapter ten and verse eight. And thou shalt go down before me to Gilgal, and, behold, I will come down unto thee to offer burnt offerings, and to sacrifice sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days shalt thou tarry, till I come to thee and show thee what thou shalt do. So, who is speaking here? Samuel is speaking to who? To Saul. Very good. And he gives him instructions. He says, listen, I'm going to be here in seven days. I want you to wait. And when I come, I'm going to offer burnt offerings and sacrifice and peace offerings. I want you to wait seven days. Ellen White said this, Patriarchs and Prophets, page 618. With growing impatience, he awaited the arrival of Samuel and attributed the confusion and distress and desertion of his army to the absence of the prophet, the appointed time came. So seven days had passed. But the man of God, Samuel, did not immediately appear. God's providence had detained his servant. Sometimes God makes us wait. God's providence had detained his servants, but Saul's restless, impulsive spirit would no longer be restrained. Feeling that something must be done to calm the fears of the people, he determined to summon an assembly for religious service and by sacrifice entreat the divine aid. God had directed that only those consecrated to the office should present sacrifices before him. But Saul commanded, Bring hither a burnt offering, and equipped as he was with armor and weapons of war, he approached the altar and offered sacrifice. So what you see is you see him pleasing or attempting to please the people. Have we done that? Some of our churches have done that. Some of our churches have said, if we're going to fill these pews, we must please the people. And the only way to please the people, we heard some of it in Sabbath school, it, makes your, it breaks your heart, we're going to put a Starbucks in the foyer. We're going to change the music. We're going to bring the guitars and the drums. And, and there's going to be a bedlam of noise. And it's going to be great. And the people will come in, especially the young people, and will fill the church. So that's what Saul was doing. He wanted to please the people. So he disobeys God in the area of worship. All right, let's go to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 4. John 4, beginning in verse 20. And this is um, a familiar story Samaritan woman. Um, we're going to start John chapter 4, beginning in verse 19. The woman saith unto him, speaking to Jesus, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Verse 21, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is. Is of the Jews, so when the temple was rebuilt at Jerusalem, the Samaritans wanted to join. Sorry, I don't know why this microphone's doing that. the The the, uh, the Jew the uh, Samaritans wanted to take part in the in the um, erection of the the rebuilding of the temple, but the Jews said, "No, you can't take part," and as a result there was this bitter animosity between the two groups. And so it resulted in the Samaritans saying, fine, we'll build our own altar. So they built a rival temple. And they get involved in worship according to the ceremonies that God gave unto Moses. However, they mingled with those righteous ceremonies, idolatry. And then disasters took place. Um, the Samaritans experience, experienced disasters, and their temple was destroyed by the enemy. They seemed to be under a curse as a result. And so Jesus was telling this woman, it matters how you worship God. You don't even know how, what you're worshiping, basically is what he's saying. You worship, ye know not what. He's saying it matters how you worship God. God is not indifferent. He's particular. And particularly when it comes to how he's being worshipped, he's particular. And so you can't mix the holy with the unholy. And that's what the Samaritans were doing. And then they call it worship. And it's not pleasing to God, but they believe that it is. Now, worship is going to be a serious issue in the last days. Uh, very soon, I believe. In, in Revelation 13, if you would go there. Revelation 13. And let's just read verse 12. It's a verse that you're probably familiar with. Revelation thirteen twelve. the Bible says, And he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein, To worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Those two words should never occur in the same sentence. Maybe not even in the same paragraph. Force and worship. But you see that they're together here. Okay, Um, There's going to be forced worship. And if you've done a study of Revelation, you know that there'll be a time when if you do not go along with what the government says then you won't be able to buy or sell. And then at another level, you'll not be able to... Right, there'll be a death decree as well. All right, Revelation 14, 6 and 7. David's left the room where I'd have him switch me over to the podium mic. Dave, can you switch me to the podium mic, please? Okay, thank you, sir. Revelation 14, um, 6 and 7. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell in the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of water. Worship is a serious issue in these last days, and it's going to get increasingly more serious. So God expects respect, honor. He wants us to glorify him in worship because the hour of his judgment has come. All of these things are being looked at. It's a serious issue. And, you know, um, I've heard this several times. I don't know if I've mentioned this, but, you know, people have asked, um, I wonder when my name is going to come up in the judgment." You ever heard anybody say that? Maybe you've thought that, and I don't, I don't condemn you for that, but I want you to know that that's not how it works. It's not alphabetical. God doesn't have a book, and he goes, oh, M, Milano. Let's do it to Milano's right now. It's not like that. Our, our records are being examined our, examined. our decisions are being looked at all the time. Right now they're being examined. Every decision we make is being looked at, and Satan is there to point a finger. He's there to accuse Um, So keep that in mind that our probation closes when our probation closes. You you understand that, right? So the examination is taking place currently right now, today. And so these things are being looked at. And you know the Elijah message, right? Uh, it's, It's the same message today. If God is God, worship him. But if Baal is God, worship him. Make up your mind. Get off the fence. Why halt ye between two opinions? is what the prophet says. And so we we can no longer be fence sitters. We have to decide one way or the other. It doesn't do any good to fill the church with people who aren't Christians, aren't converted. Bring them in so they can be converted, but we don't want to change worship in an attempt to attract people to come in. So let me ask you this, what is your concept of God? you thought about that? How do you picture God? Have you put him in a box? What's your concept? Is he your peer? Is he your equal? No, but oftentimes we we treat him that way. He's our equal. He's not our equal. You know, um, self does not allow God to work. And, And we have to be careful of that. That we don't let self get in the way of what God wants to do or what God is doing. self has this idea of what worship should look like. And even if it's not within God's will, self still wants it. The greatest battle battle ever fought is the battle with self. That's exactly right. And so self wants to do its own thing. And as a result, we miss a blessing. See, God wants to bless us. But we're, we're missing blessings if we're doing things according to our will. You know, God's way of worship is strange. It's peculiar. It is so contrary to the world um, that it, the world looks at it and says, oh, that's strange. It's boring. It's not lively enough. Even in the church, uh, folks have been heard saying, oh, this is the best we're going to get. But That's the best we're going to get, that, those hymns. And so self wants something else. But Jesus said, my house shall be a house of prayer, communing with the creator. I I do not come to Sabbath service to get filled, although God wants to fill you. He wants to fill me. And I do get filled, but that is not why I come. I don't come to church to be entertained. And I don't come to church to perform. I come to worship the creator because he died for me. And he's working to save me. And if we just remember those things, we'll be fine. And, you know, I tell you this because folks move on and they change churches. And I want you to have your radar up and recognize this is not right. This isn't worship, God's way of worship. The things you have described as taking place. Ellen White was talking about something that happened in Indiana. And she said this. She said, The Lord has shown me what would take place just before the close of probation. Every uncouth thing will be demonstrated. There will be shouting with drums, music, and dancing. So I can say this because you're my friends and and church family. But that um, DVD from the conference with the rock music, it, it made me sick. You can show our young people doing good things without bringing the world in. It's heartbreaking, but there's a trend and no one wants to say anything because they're afraid, afraid of something. I don't know what they're afraid of, but Holy Spirit never reveals itself in such measures or methods. She says in such a bedlam of noise. This is an invention of Satan to cover up his ingenious methods for making of none effect the pure, sincere, Elevating, ennobling, sanctifying truth for this time. Cultural norms have no should have no effect on how we worship. And so this is important. And it's specifically mentioned in the three angels' messages. This issue of worship. It has to go to the entire world. The world needs to know that it is not uh, to be self-determining what worship is like. God is going to determine that. So why is Satan so concerned or involved in this issue of worship? And I'm telling you that he is. It's been going on for a long time. Isaiah 14:12 and 13. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. It's the I letter. It's the me letter. And that's it. It's all about self. And I want you to think about this. Satan was created perfect. He was in a perfect place with a perfect God surrounded by perfect angels. Everything was perfect. And this happened. And that should alarm us to the point where we are very careful. Jesus said, watch and pray. We should be aware that we are in such a disadvantage because we are not in a perfect place. We, were, we are not perfect. And the enemy is experienced. And I don't want to give him any more credit than he needs. Luke 4, 5, and 6. And the devil, taking him up, talking about Jesus, into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will give it. If thou therefore will what? Worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. It's always been about worship for him. That's why Satan is so busy trying to bring in unholy worship here into our churches. And in some cases, he is successful in doing that. It's always been about worship. He desires worship. He wants the honor, the homage, the respect, the reverence that's due only to the creator. That is what Satan is striving for. And it's been going on for a very long time. He wants only what belongs to the creator. Jesus said, these people draw nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, but in vain they do worship me teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Now, you can go in a few places with this, and I think it embraces those places. Um, It's certainly talking about um, when in Jesus's time, the religious leaders had taken the Sabbath and turned it into a burden and made hundreds of rules on top of the Sabbath commandment and just ruined the experience for everybody. But it also can apply to worship today and it certainly will apply to something else that we're going to talk about. Nowhere is this more accurately fulfilled, this issue about worship and in vain worshiping, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men, than in the spurious Sabbath, the counterfeit day of worship. Because the counterfeit day of worship Is the commandments of men. It's the commandments of men. Making of no effect. The commandments of God. And very successful. Now I want you to think about this. Satan has always wanted to be worshipped. Right? And he creates a counterfeit day of worship. And over a billion people honor him by worshipping on that day. And I was one of those people. And my wife was one of those people. We did it ignorantly, like most of those people are doing it ignorantly. We're not condemning people, but we're looking at prophecy and we're uh, educating ourselves so that we can share with others because the end result is not a positive one if you remain uh, keeping the commandments of men rather than the commandments of God. So this is Daniel uh, 7.25 again, our scripture reading. And he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. So I can speak uh, about the Church of Rome because I grew up in it. I actually served in the Church of Rome. My wife grew up there. And so um, this clearly is a verse that um, is talking about that religious organization. And it speaks initially about blasphemy against the Most High. And how does the church do that? I know because I was there. The priest claims to be able to forgive sin. That's blasphemy, biblical blasphemy, number one. Um, The Pope claims to be Christ on earth. That's blasphemy as well. Okay, great words or blasphemy against the Most High. And then wearing out the saints in the King James, it's referring to the persecution of Christians. And we know that the time, times and the dividing of time is the 1260 years of the Dark Ages where tens of millions of Christians died for their faith. And this entity, this religious organization, thinks they have changed God's commandments. And so what did they do? Well, they have idols and graven images, so they had to do away with the second commandment. So they removed it. Now you only have nine commandments. You need 10. They took the 10th and they split it in two. So there's two commandments for coveting. They pushed everything up and then they took the longest commandment, which was the Sabbath commandment. I believe it's 94 words. And they shortened it to eight words because the 94 words had too much information that would have pointed out the error. So now it's the third commandment instead of the fourth, and it's eight words, and it just says, uh, I believe it says, remember to keep the Sabbath holy or something like that. There's no detail about the seventh day there or about the Creator. You know, the Sabbath commandment is the only commandment that identifies the one who wrote the commandments. And that's so important that that had to be erased. They think they have changed God's time in law. It's the only commandment that talks about time. And the fact that they did it does not mean that they've changed anything. No, you know, no more so than I could change your birthday or your anniversary by declaring it and writing it in a book. It doesn't change anything. You were born when you were born. Um, Let's go to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8. And you're familiar, but let's go there. Let's look at this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, man nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is in within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that In them is and rested the seventh day. Wherefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Are there any non-Adventists here? Anybody? So we see the Sabbath commandment there, the longest of the commandments. God laid it out there. It's very plain. The church of Rome said, no, thou shalt worship on the first day of the week. And so based on what they refer to as their ecclesiastical authority, they removed the second commandment. I told you all of those things that they did. Based on their ecclesiastical authority. And they believe that when the, uh, the Pope speaks ex cathedra, that it supersedes the Bible. So his word um, on the record, so to speak, takes precedence over God's word. So I want to share this with you. Um, I started reading this book by this guy, and if you can pronounce his name, I think it's Greek, I don't know. Uh, That would be fantastic, but it's a difficult one. And he wrote this book, Drums, Rock, and Worship, Modern Music in Today's Church. Amazing Facts published that in 2003, and it was revised in 2011 or republished. And it's interesting, in this book, he talks about, he follows the history of drums to their source in Africa. And the principle behind it was, and I I invite you to get this book. I think you could read it online. Actually, I'm reading it online for free, so I know you can. Um, So if you want to jot that down, you can read this book. It's very enlightening. I haven't finished it, but um, when they were drumming, In Africa, what they were doing is they were calling down ancestor spirits to come into them, to possess them so that they could dance and do all of the things that they do. And there's one particular individual that he talks about in this book that lived in Africa. He got a scholarship in the United States and he was a drummer and he was involved in this um, spiritualism this demon possession stuff that involves drums and he was disappointed. I'm going to America. I have to give up my drums. But I got a scholarship. I want to get educated and so, and I'm paraphrasing, and so I'm going to go. And he goes and he goes and when I got out of the vehicle at the college campus, he goes, I was enlightened because the music was playing there too. And he became an Adventist. Um, And this guy here, Carl, uh, talks about his conversion story, too, because he was a drummer. And he learned these things. And, and um, he actually became an Adventist, but he still was a drummer. And in the church, they wanted him to drum. And his wife was a chorister, and she had a beautiful voice, and she loved to sing and worship. And the Lord convicted his heart, you need to get rid of those drums, because they're a product, a tool of Satan. And so, something to think about when we consider worship. So, going back to um, the change of God's law, the Sabbath commandment. If you look at Revelation thirteen and verse four, and this is important to us because we're going to um, we're going to see that worshiping the dragon. Um, Is just going to become more and more prevalent. No one's going to be calling it that except for Adventists. And so we see in Revelation 13, verse 4, it says, And they worshiped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war, excuse me, with him? And this is from Ezekiel chapter 20. Moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them, that they might know that I am the Lord that sanctify them. And hallow my Sabbaths, and they shall be a sign between me and you, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. I love those two verses there in Ezekiel chapter 20, because God is saying something vital. He's saying, I know who my people are by the day that they worship. And and he says, and and I am the Lord that is going to make them holy. That's what that word sanctify means. And he says the Sabbath is the sign that identifies His people. We've been going over this at, at this church school there in Murfreesboro. Um, Eli has been there and he's been listening and enjoying that um, learning. And actually, we had a quiz Friday, and he did excellent on it. Um, and we were talking about these things, the mark of the beast. And I asked this question at the beginning of our, of our study Friday. I said, what is the mark of the beast? And just like that, one of the young people said, Sunday worship. Because the, the Catholic Church says, it is our mark of ecclesiastical authority. The fact that they had the power to change the day. And I could put quotes up on the screen. I won't do that. Where they speak this. They say it on on their own. They they admit to it. They're not ashamed of it. And so God says, but the Sabbath is my seal. It's my sign. It identifies my people. This is vitally important. If you're having trouble keeping the Sabbath now as a Seventh-day Adventist, In peacetime. Believe it or not, this is peacetime. This is really peacetime. You guys came here, nobody stopped you, right? I mean, yeah, maybe there's a family member or spouse that gets mad when you go, but this is peacetime. We're free to do this. If you're having a hard time now keeping the Sabbath, get on your knees because the furnace is going to be turned up. It's going to get so much more difficult. If you have children or grandchildren, the furnace is going to be on high. Because it's not you that you're worried about. It's them. And if you can't buy or sell and those cute little grandbabies say, Grammy, my belly hurts. That requires you to wait on the Lord. And people will be condemning you. How can you do that? I mean, it's going to be hard. It's a time of trouble such as never was before. And and I don't think that we can wrap our minds around how bad it's going to be. You know, Ellen White said that often our worry is worse than the event. She goes, but not in this case. It's the opposite of that. I don't want you to worry. I want you to trust the Lord. So this is a polarizing issue. And if you are missing church For a sporting event, if you're not keeping the Sabbath so that you can go to a birthday party or an anniversary party, where is your focus? Is it on the creator? It's not. And if you can't do it now in peacetime, if you can't say, no, we're just not going to do that. Uh, This event is not important enough for me to break one of the Ten Commandments, the commandment that is the mark of God's people. It is the sign, the seal of God's people. If we can't do it now, we're in big trouble because we will go out of this church like it's on fire. And we don't want to do that. We want us all to go through. And so I want you to think, you know, we talked in our, our small group last night about um, the three Hebrews and Daniel in chapter one. They purposed in their hearts. They made a decision. They were not going to go against God's ways. We need to do that. By God's grace, we can. Our worship must be based on our love for God. There should be no other motivation. See, in the Protestant world, in many places, decisions are made for Jesus out of fear. They're made out of fear. You better come to the altar and be saved because the fires of hell are burning now and they burn for all eternity. And people are scared and they come to the altar and they give their heart to Jesus, but they're afraid. But Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Our worship, our commandment keeping must only be based on love. Otherwise it's useless because he first loved us. And you know, the everlasting gospel is so powerful. If our motivation is love, the everlasting gospel is so powerful. You will see lives transform. You will see God do great things. We need to to, uh, allow it to transform us. We need to embrace it, accept it, love it. It removes all gray areas of faith. And that's a good thing. Forces everyone off the fence. And this is part of the revival that we need, that we desire. We can't have a revival if we're sitting on the fence. All right, I just have three more points and... We're done. I got started late. And my, and my brother Chuck said, do not look at the clock. And I've, I didn't listen to him. But in this world, there's a huge disrespect for God. It's true. There's no fear of him. There's no loyalty to him. There's no reverence, no morality. And, and I, I hate to say it, but to some Christians, God is their buddy who's not worried about the details, and he is worried about the details. And Jesus is your brother, but he's also Savior and Lord, right? And he's also the creator. I mean, he is so far above us, we are not on the same level at all. We're not peers. And, 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 and there's this thought process, he's not really going to punish me for these little sins, but just go back to Genesis in the early chapters, and you'll see what we call a little sin, you know, the taking of a piece of fruit off of a tree, um, was enough to get them banished. It's important to him and and, it's, and it should be important to us. And then there's a group, they teach this, un, I talked about this unhealthy fear. Uh, you want to be careful of that. And then a third group who understand the character of God, that he's both merciful and just. God is merciful and he's just. And as a result of his justice, heaven will be a safe place. And affliction will not rise up a second time. It's the, um, I don't know, it's the guarantee that this is not going to reoccur. And so the Lord has to have righteous justice in order for that to happen. And a beautiful thing is it'll be done perfectly. There'll be no mistrials. Do you know what a mistrial is, right? Yeah. I caused a mistrial once. Is Lisa here? Lisa was here. She would appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, I just said something really I shouldn't have said. And I just, uh, I was right in the middle of a trial. And I mentioned um, that on the driver's license, there was a red operator's license number, which meant they had a previous driving while intoxicated. And as soon as I said that, I went, oh, and they declared a mistrial. And, and the whole thing was out. And, and I had to do it all over again uh, some other time with a different judge. But, so, but with God, there's no mistrials. He does it perfectly. He doesn't make mistakes like I make. And his people will be those that obey out of love. They love him. And it'll be his grace, his power that sanctifies the person. Right? We exercise our faith and he says, I'll give you the power to do it. And then we can experience the blessing of the everlasting gospel. let's pray. Lord, um... Father in heaven, we, uh, we're we really in awe of how great you are, how patient you are, merciful, and, and how you provide all of our needs. We're thankful that we have a an advocate in heaven, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is interceding for us, and he is working to blot out our sins, and he wants to place them on the originator of sin, the devil. Lord, help us to allow you to do that. Give us the strength, uh, the courage to forsake sin, to repent of sin, to confess sin, so that you're able to blot those sins out. Lord, we desire a revival of true godliness in our hearts individually and then as a people, as a church. Um, we know that is our greatest, most urgent need. And, and we want evangelism to be successful. We want conversions to be real. Um, and that's only going to happen if there's, if there's a revival of true godliness. And yes, we're going to have to lay some things aside. And it might be difficult. And it'll be different uh, for different people. And help us to do that, Lord. Give us the strength to recognize that our selfish ways... Um, of worship, of whatever, uh, are not going to be in the kingdom of heaven. It's going to be your way. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be awesome. So help us fight this battle with self. Give us the strength to do that, Lord. Convict our hearts. Bless each family represented here, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yes.
2: Yep. Let's all stand together for our closing hymn, number four twenty six. I shall see the King. (laughs) I shall see the King. I shall see the King someday In the better land On the golden strand And with Him shall ever stay In His glory I shall see the King And forever endless praises sing was on Calvary, Jesus died for me, I shall see the King someday, in the land of song, in the glory throne, where there never comes a night, with my Lord once slain, I shall ever I shall see the King And forever endless praises sing T'was on Calvary Jesus died for me I shall see the King someday I shall see the King All my tributes bring And shall look upon His face And my song shall be How he ransomed me And has kept me by his grace In his glory I shall see the king And forever in the saints dream Left on Calvary Jesus died for me I shall see the king someday. Amen. What a message. You may be seated.